to the book of Jonah, I want to encourage you, if you're there, if you're wanting to give up, don't give up. Uh, if you're wanting to stop, keep pressing on. You never know what the Lord's going to do and what's around the corner. And uh, I truly believe that. I believe the Lord is good, has always been good, and will continue to be good. And uh, even when you begin to doubt, don't doubt because He's still there. And we're going to see that here in the book of Jonah here in a few moments as we come to a portion of Scripture that we're all familiar with, a book of the Bible that uh, many of the kids here this morning love, uh, a book of the Bible that for many of us we have found ourselves encouraged in certain stages uh, because we look at what God did through a man who didn't want to be used. And we look at a pastor's scripture and we see that Jonah is an individual that uh, runs from the Lord. And he continues to run from the Lord. And then when God works, he gets angry with the Lord. And all of that is found in this book. The greatest revival that we have ever read about takes place. And a man is upset about that. You begin to wonder, what in the world? Why, Why in the world would that take place? One of the things you'll find in life, not just the Christian life, but in life, that many people... All of us in this auditorium this morning and many individuals across this world struggle with. One of the things that we would say we loathe, one of the things that we say we have no desire to take part in is evaluation. Evaluation is not a fun thing. Sometimes you begin to think about that. I remember as a middle schooler and and even a high schooler, I remember whenever I was trying out for sports teams. And I remember in my 7th grade year, we were uh, going for tryouts. In 8th grade year, we were going for tryouts. And I remember there was a a three-day process. And uh, the first night was an evaluation. It was kind of a simple evaluation. And uh, everything was taking place. It was very, very slow-moving, you know, normal things, layups, you know, drills, and the three-man weave, and all that type of stuff that was going on. And, And I remember the second day came, and... It was another evaluation, and the third day came, it was another evaluation. I remember hearing those coaches talking, and, and uh, the coaches would reveal to you, number one, if you made the team or not. You know, and you always, you always knew it was a bad thing whenever the coaches were talking to you, and they pulled you aside, and they'd say, you know, you're a, you're a solid athlete, but there's just no room for you on the team this year. You know, you, you knew, oh man, when they started out that way, it was just, it was just uh, one of those things. You always were looking for just a... Hey, you made it. Good job. You know, that's, that's kind of what you're looking for. But along the evaluation part, the coaches would oftentimes reveal, hey, this is why you have not made the team. Now, this is why you're not going to be on this team. You need to get better in this area. You need to strengthen this area. You're terrible in this area. You need to get better in these things. Evaluations take place all throughout life. You go to the doctor, the doctor's going to evaluate you. You go and you want to be a part of certain things, they're going to evaluate you. You go and you apply for a job, and guess what they're going to do? They're going to evaluate you. They're going to say, submit your resume. Let's look at your resume. Let's see how it stacks up with these over here. And they're going to evaluate you through conversations. Well, when we get into the Word of God sometimes, one of the things that we try to run from is the Holy Spirit and the Lord evaluating us. Hey, you need to strengthen some of these things. You need to get rid of some of these things. You need to do better in these areas. And evaluations aren't necessarily fun things. If you were to go to the book of, uh, of Acts, you'll find that there is a man that is named, a very similar name, one that we're familiar with by the name of Paul. And this man begins to address a matter that needs to be addressed because there was an imposter that was trying to make everyone believe that he was something that he was not. And so he begins to talk about all of this power that he has. He begins to talk about all of the things that he was able to do. And all of a sudden, a, a crowd begins to form. He gets a gathering, he gets a group of people who are supporting him, he gets a following, if you would. And all of a sudden, some of the apostles come on the scene and they say, hey, you're not what you say you are. 
Hey, you, you claim to be this, but you're not this. And all of a sudden, he, he tries to buy the power of God because he wanted to do some things with it. And all of a sudden, you begin to see all of that moving forward. You begin to see as that man is dealt with, one of the things that we struggle with the most begins to creep in. As we start this series on things that strengthen the church and things that, that, that kill the church and things that strengthen the, the Christian and things that kill the Christian, we have to ask ourselves as we get into each of these, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Lord, what do I need to be addressing that you're trying to get my attention on? Last week, we laid the foundation as the, the most important thing that strengthens every single one of us and the church is the Word of God. You think about the Word of God, look, if you're not placing emphasis on the Word of God, then what are you placing an emphasis on? If you're placing an emphasis on the words of another man or the words of another individual, then you'll find that those words will come to fail you at certain times. But nowhere will you ever find that the Lord gives a word and that it will fail you. As a matter of fact, you'll always find the Word of God to be faithful. You'll always find the Word of God to strengthen you, to help you, to challenge you. And it begins to do an evaluation every once in a while. So today we have to ask ourselves as we look at one of the areas that strengthens the church last week and now one of the areas that kills the church. One of the areas that hurts the child of God. In one regard, we're looking at the Word of God and how powerful it is, but one of the things you'll find if you go to the root of the issues of many of the sins that we commit, you'll find the root cause is the word pride. Pride is a dangerous thing. Pride is one of those things that oftentimes we don't want to admit that we have. Pride is one of those things that we don't want to admit that we're struggling with. Sometimes we are so prideful that we won't even acknowledge that there's maybe a slight bit of pride there. Pride is not something that's going to strengthen the child of God. It's not going to challenge the, word, uh, the, 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 the child of God. It's not going to strengthen the church. Because pride is something that begins to harm and hurt the child of God in the church. You begin to think about pride in general. You begin to think about this man by the name of Jonah and everything that he was facing. The circumstances that he brought himself into. The situation that he began to fall into because he was disobedient unto the Lord. And we're going to note those things here in a few minutes. But as you begin to ask yourself this question this morning, when it comes to pride, are you being strengthened by the word of God? Prayfully you are. But as you begin to acknowledge, Lord, is there any pride in my life? Lord, am I being strengthened? Am I being hurt? Am I, am I, am I being uh, an individual that is, is not growing any longer? Am I growing to a place of apathy? Am I dying in my walk with the Lord? You see, that's one of the things that sometimes we're not careful. We go through seasons of difficulty. I remember in my own life, the Lord has convicted me of certain times whenever I had been in a season of just excitement. Man, what, look at what God is doing. Look what the Lord can do. And we, we go and we move and we try and we do all of these many things. And those seasons are, are wonderful. What about the discouraging seasons? What about the seasons where we have no desire to get into the Word of God? What about the seasons whenever the Lord is trying to deal with us but we have no desire to be dealt with? What about the seasons when we're struggling, we don't even pick up our Bibles? Oh, we, we, we don't uh, get alone with the Lord. We don't try to be an encouragement. All of those types of things, the seasons of difficulty. And all of a sudden, the preaching might be going on, or you're sitting at your house, and you're reading the Bible, or you're having a conversation, and the Holy Spirit begins to convict you of the pride that's in your life. And all of a sudden, you say, oh, no, I don't have any pride. Oh, no, that's not me. We struggle with these things. You see, pride is something the Bible deals with greatly. As a matter of fact, you see it in many passages of Scripture. You think about Joseph and his brothers. 
You go back and you look at the situation and how everything took place in Joseph's life. What brought him to the place of being in that pit? Pride. Not his pride, but his brother's pride. You go and you look at individuals throughout Scripture who were persecuting the church and you find that pride was right in the midst of it. You go and you look at Peter as Peter is having to be dealt with and Peter's mouth got him in a lot of trouble. Oftentimes, it was Peter's pride that brought all of those circumstances upon his life. Pride is something that we struggle with. Pride is an issue. Pride is something that doesn't bring growth in the child of God. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Galatians 6, 3, for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Proverbs 27, 2, let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Pride is something we struggle with. As a matter of fact, just yesterday, there was a gentleman that I went to school with back in Indiana, and he, met, he posted a video, and this was some years ago. It was early 2000s, and there was a game that was going into overtime. And if you are familiar with football, any before they go into overtime, they do a coin flip. The team called heads, and as they called heads, they won the toss, and the, the referee looked over, they said, what would you like to do? And he said, we, we want to receive, and we're going to score a touchdown. First play from scrimmage, right in the overtime, he gets the ball, turns, looks to the right just a little bit, turns, and he's already in his head, throwing to his left. He throws the ball to the left, and guess what it is? Intercepted, returned for a touchdown. Game over. ESPN News the next day is not talking about the game. They're talking about a man whose pride got up to him and he said, we're going to receive the ball, we're going to score a touchdown. Can you imagine in that moment, that man being deflated? He needed to be humbled. You see, in the Christian life, we battle this exact same thing. In the Christian life, we're trying to accomplish something for the Lord sometimes and we say, hey, we're going to do this and watch me. The Lord says, oh, it's not about you. Matter of fact, it was never about you. It's all about me. You see, pride is something we struggle with, and the Bible tells us much of that as we just read those verses. In the book of Jonah, you find a man whose pride not only caught up to him, but his pride began to breed disobedience. His pride began to bring him into a place of danger, and all of a sudden, at the very end of of Jonah's life, you'll find that as the danger begins to fade, as the Lord has been dealing with him, all of a sudden, a great revival takes place, and you see that pride began to breed displeasure still. All of that is taking place in the book of Jonah. Andrew Murray said it this way when he was dealing with pride. He said, pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. You think about that. Sometimes in the Christian life, we're wondering, Lord, why aren't you in Because you're too prideful. Uh, there, there are preachers sometimes. I remember being in a, a, a meeting uh, some years ago, and a preacher was preaching, and, and man, pride was just dripping off the preacher and that, that message that was being preached. And it, it was a, a situation that I had never encountered before. But as he was preaching, all of a sudden, the Lord shut those windpipes up. He couldn't speak for a minute. Talk about a humbling moment. Pride dripping off. And all of a sudden, the the Lord says, hey, you're a preacher. You know what you get to do? You get to speak. But hey, here's your voice. It's gone for a few minutes. Pride. In every single one of our lives, we face those moments where the Lord is trying to get our attention. And you find that until you die to self, nothing of the Lord can live through you. You see, sometimes if we're not careful, we think too highly of ourselves. The Bible tells us this as we go and we think in Galatians 6.3, as he says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing... He deceiveth himself. 
I oftentimes I think about that that verse and I, I picture I'm very visual in the regard of when I'm reading I try to visualize what is taking place and in Galatians six three I begin to envision a man as he as it says for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing I picture a man who, who's kind of strutting you know he, he walks into the presence of the room and he he thinks he's so, something and so he's just kind of you know you know just kind of strutting just walking thinking he's something. And you know what that, what that is like. When you, when you see someone, you, you, you see people that walk into a room or you're out and about and you see someone that thinks they're something and you're standing over there thinking, who is this clown? Like, who, who are these, who, who are they? Why, why do they think they're, they're something? I remember sitting in class one time and I was a junior or senior and I can't remember when it was, but I remember Kelly had uh, a class and I was in study hall, I believe. Might have been reversed, doesn't matter. But I remember I had to go up and I had to talk to the teacher for a moment, and it was his name was Mr. Nadasky. And uh, Mr. Nadasky was up there and he was the math teacher, and, and I can't remember if I was in math or if I was in study hall, but I remember he began to talk and and look, I believe every single one of us, there were times whenever we were teenagers, we just thought we were the stuff, right? Jonathan, you think you're the stuff, right? I mean, you just think you're something. And, uh, you know, and we, we have those times of, of, of humbling. And I remember the, the teacher called me up there and I was talking to him. He said, hey, what's it going to be like at this point in time? I had surrendered to preach. I knew I was going to Crown College. And he said, what, what's it going to be like? He said, you're a big fish in a little pond here at Grace. But you're about to be a little fish in a big pond at Crown. And I remember I looked at him and I said, no, I play basketball, so I'll probably be a big fish in a big pond still. And I kind of just turned back pride. I mean, cockiness, arrogance, and I remember thinking, man, that was, a, that was a pretty, that was fast comeback, that was pretty good, you know, he's probably thinking, you know, and I go and I sit down and Kelly turns to me and she says, that was so disrespectful, I was thinking, in my head I'm thinking, that didn't impress you, like, you're, you're not proud of that, <laughs> and the Lord in that moment used Kelly to humble me pretty quickly. I'll tell you right now, the Lord used that moment because from that moment on, I remember there were times whenever pride would creep up, and I remember that moment when the Lord began to deal with me. And I, I remember conviction saying, you know what, that was. It was disrespectful. And the Lord used that moment to remind me that, hey, you are nothing. I remember in my, my sophomore year, it was just a great start to the year. We had just played Pensacola. We had a great game. We, we came within a couple points of beating a team that was far better than us. I remember the sophomore year in college and thinking, man, this is going to be the year. And again, thinking I was something and that pride creeping up. And we went to play football one day. And uh, this was during the season, but there was a, a snowstorm that had come in, so we drove down. We were playing football on a, a soccer field, and I remember this was the very first time that I fractured my ankle. We were playing in this field, and I went up to deflect the ball. My brother-in-law, Troy, was right behind me, and as I went up, I came down on his ankle, and my entire ankle just flipped. I remember the, the next couple of days were very painful. As a matter of fact, the next morning I woke up, I forgot about my ankle. I stood up and collapsed on the stairs and passed out because I forgot. Immediately just pain, I passed out on the stairs. I woke up and I had that, that cold sweat and one of my roommates saying, dude, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. I just need, I'm just going to get back in bed. Went through and the entire week of practice, while my team was practicing, I was over there sitting in a chair with my, eye, uh, my, my foot in an ice bucket. 
the week next, I began to, to play, and I remember I was, uh, had just gone to the doctor, and the doctor would say, hey, you'll probably be fine. It looks like it's not terrible, you know, just uh, be careful on it. So I said, yeah, I'm going to play on it then, you know, if, if, if that's fine. And so I remember the, the, the coach, we were preparing for the, team, the game, and he was wrapping that ankle up as tight as he could because it was painful. And I remember I played, and I, I put, uh, you know, the, the blue emu stuff all over my ankle, so I just would get numb. I mean, numb it up so I don't feel it. Played in the game, and it was throbbing. We're walking out. It was Georgia Northwest Tech, and as we were walking out of the, 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 the locker room, I get a phone call from the doctor who had just done the x-rays. He said, hey, I just want to let you know you've got a fracture. You're, you can't play the rest of the season. Well, I, I played the rest of the season, but it was not a very smart decision. But I remember in that moment thinking, my pride caught up to me. I thought it was something. The Lord had to humble me and remind me I'm nothing. Along the way in our lives, those types of things sometimes take place. You see, Ironside said it this way. He said, pride is a barrier to all spiritual progress. Pride says, no, I don't need to address this. So-and-so needs to address this. Pride says, hey, I've, I've perfected this area of my Christian life. I don't need to address that any longer. While the Lord is trying to deal with us saying, hey, no one's arrived, pride says, no, they might not have arrived, but I have arrived. You see, pride is something that we find and have an issue with. It was Warren Wiersbe who said, the way we respond to criticism pretty much depends on the way we respond to praise. He said, if praise humbles us, then criticism will build us up. But if praise inflates us, then criticism will crush us. And both responses lead to our defeat. One of the dangers of the Christian life is having too much pride. It was Paul who in Galatians made this statement in verse number 20 of chapter number 2, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Galatians chapter number 2, verse number 20, we oftentimes look at verse number 20, or I mean verse number 20 and say, oh, it's all about this statement. I am crucified. No, no, that's not what it's not. It's not about at all. The entire verse is not about the simple fact that Paul was crucifying himself. That's a byproduct of something that we recognize in verse number 20. In verse number 20, the entire emphasis is on Jesus Christ himself. You see, the more of Christ that you see, the less of yourself you want to see. As you look in the mirror, you'll find that if you look in the mirror with an honest heart, you say, Lord, reveal myself to me, you'll see just how vile and wicked in a sinful state that you are in. But the more that you come in contact with the Lord and you say, Lord, reveal yourself to me, oh, he's wonderful. Paul recognizes this. That's why Paul, as he is placing an emphasis on Christ, he realizes, hey, because I'm drawing nigh unto him, I'm revealing to myself I do need to crucify myself. Because if there's too much of me, then how much Christ is there? You see, as you walk through, you'll find in Romans 12, 1, a very, fam very familiar verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This entire verse defeats pride. You know how? Because as you come to uh, Romans chapter number 12, verse number 1, he says, I beseech you. He's saying, I beg of you, I plead with you that you do this. Brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Pride says, no, I don't want to be a living sacrifice. I want to do what I want to do. But as you crucify yourself, you can't do that. You see, it says holy. No, I don't want to be holy. There's so many unholy things that I want to take part in. I want to go and do this. I want to go and do this. Why? Because there's a sinful nature. Pride says, no, I don't want to do all of that. I don't want to be holy. 
He goes on, he says, acceptable unto God. That is something that we struggle with. Why? Because we want to do what we want to do. Lord, I don't care if it's acceptable to you because, hey, it's, it's enjoyable for me. Pride. He goes on and he says this, which is your reasonable service. B. McCall Barber put it this way. He said, we must die to good deeds and die to bad deeds. We must die to success and die to failure. We must die to leading and die to following. We must die to exaltation and die to humiliation. We must die to our life work. We must die to our friends, to our foes, to every manifestation of self and to self itself. You see, self can get up and pray and sit down and say, Oh, what a lovely prayer that was. Prayer, as you begin to think about it, is not about you, it's all about the Lord. What a lovely prayer ought never enter the words of your mouth. Self can preach a sermon and see souls saved and go home, pat itself on the back and say, you did splendidly today, what a useful one you are. Self can be burned to death and be proud of itself. Yes, it is very possible to have religious selfishness as well as carnal selfishness. We look at this world and we say, oh, this world is just full of selfishness. No, look within the church and you'll find the exact same thing. All throughout the church you'll find that there is pride that is creeping in and we find that every single one of us, myself included, we have to crucify self. Pride is not something that the Lord desires to enter the doors of the church because pride hinders what God desires to do with every single one of our lives. You see, this row of boys right here, we can find ourselves saying, Lord, I desire to see you do something great in their life. What example is being set in the home? You see, if there's pride in the home, you're going to be breeding pride on this front row. You see, if there's any form of pride within the church, you'll find that is something that is being seen. As visitors walk through the doors, they don't see a church that is yielded to God, that wants to see God do something great, but they see that there are people that are prideful, that are unwilling to allow God to have His will and His way. Let me make the statement one last time that B. McCall Barber said. He said, yes, it is very possible to have religious selfishness as well as carnal selfishness. Romans 6, verses 11 through 13 says this, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You see, pride kills. Pride destroys. Pride is not something that grows. Pride is not something that strengthens. Pride is not something that helps. Pride is something that gets into the root issues of someone's life and all of a sudden you begin to see rebellion. All of a sudden you begin to see anger. All of a sudden you begin to see bitterness. All of a sudden you begin to see disobedience. All of a sudden you begin to see displeasure. All of a sudden you see all of these many things. You say, what is the issue? It's pride. Because the Holy Spirit says, hey, you need to deal with this. Pride says, no, I don't feel like it. You see, pride is something that every single one of us this morning have to ask the Lord, Lord, is there any sense of pride? Is there any pride within me? Lord, if there is, then Lord, deal with it. But pride says, no, I don't want to deal with it. You see, right this very moment, as you walk in the doors of the church and the Holy Spirit is trying to deal with every single one of us, pride says, I don't need to be dealt with. Deal with so-and-so. Pride says, no, I don't need to deal with that. Maybe another time. Pride says, hey, sin? No, not in my life. So pride, 
Pride is something that we must deal with. As you come to the book of Jonah, notice with me, if you would, for just a few moments. Because in Jonah's life, you'll find that he received a word from the Lord, but his pride made him run from it. Pride is something that you see in the life of Jonah. Not only did he receive a word from the Lord and his pride made him run, but he had a word with the Lord and his pride made him wait in his own life until the sin was barreling and the sin was heavy on him and the burden was heavy. And all of a sudden he begins to call out unto the Lord. Why? Because pride made him wait. In Jonah's life, he not only received a word and had a word, but he had a word for God and his pride made him angry when God began to work. All throughout the book of Jonah, you see pride just creeping up in his life. And so notice with me, number one, and we won't be long this morning, but we must ask the Lord to deal with every single one of us because if we do desire to be the child of God and the Christian the Lord saved us to be, then we must ask ourselves this question, are we willing to deal with any form of pride that the Lord reveals to us? If you're not, then you're walking out the doors of the church as prideful as you came in, as prideful as you'll go out. But if you come to the end of yourself and you say, Lord, deal with anything that's in my life, the Lord begins to reveal it. And you see, pride will keep us in our seats. Pride will keep us from dealing with it because, hey, I don't want to deal with this, Lord. I don't want so-and-so. No, no, it's not about so-and-so. Let me ask you this question. Are you more concerned about your relationship with man than you are with God? If you are, there's a concern right there. You see... You'll get in your vehicle and you'll go home and someone might say this or someone might say that and you say, oh, I made so-and-so happy. I made so-and-so. They'll never know. That's great, but God knows. God knows. You see, our relationship spiritually is not about this. It's about this. And if you're right this way, you'll be right this way. Pride. Notice with me, number one, we see Jonah's disobedience. The Bible tells us in verse number one, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. As you come to verse number 1 on down to verse number 3, you begin to see his disobedience as the Bible says. Now the word of the Lord, as you begin to note this for just a moment, this was a serious word. This wasn't just another word. This wasn't just an encouraging word. As you begin to think about words that are brought our way, there might be a time in my life when Braxton comes to me and says, hey, I want to tell you something. He's bringing to me a word, and while that is a great thing, that word that he is bringing to me is not as important as the word that the Lord tries to bring to me. This is a serious word. This wasn't just a word that Jonah's friends brought him. This wasn't just a word that some random stranger brought him. No, the Bible tells us in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. This is a serious word. It's a serious, and and, and the message that needs to be proclaimed, but it was also a specific word. Notice what he says right here. Now the word of the Lord came unto who? Jonah. This is a word specifically for Jonah. This is something that the Lord was trying to do in Jonah's life. You see, every single one of us this morning, as we've walked in the doors of the church, God desires to do something specific in each of our lives. I know 100% that God has called me to preach. I know 100% that God has called me to pastor Gateway Baptist Church. I know that that calling is not for you. That calling is not for so-and-so. That calling is on my life. Just like each and every single one of us, God has placed a calling on our lives. And as God places the calling on our lives, we come to realize that it is a serious thing. And not only is it a serious thing, but it's specific. I praise the Lord that He is a God of details. Oh man, the little things. 
I think about the, 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 the individuals who begin to sow, and as they're sowing, all of the little details sometimes. You begin to think about all of the fine work that goes into it, and the Lord doesn't skim over some things. The Lord doesn't just say, hey, I'll get to it later. No, He is a, a detail-oriented God, and as He begins to deal with us, He is dealing with Jonah here seriously and specifically. But don't, Jonah's pride creeps in. The Bible tells us, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry up against it. You'll find all throughout Scripture the statement arise is used many, many times. The word arise is a word of action. It's a word of prompting, if you would. It's a word where the Lord is trying to get a point across, but He needs it to be recognized. Arise. Jonah is aware that the Lord is dealing with it. You say, how do we know that Jonah was aware that the Lord was wanting him to do something? Because as you go to verse number 2 and you go to verse number 3, you see that he not only acknowledges it, but he disobeys it. You see, in every single one of our lives, there are times whenever our pride creeps in and the Lord begins to deal harshly with us because He's trying to get our attention. I remember whenever I was uh, struggling with the call to preach and all of those many things, and I was wrestling with that, and I knew the Lord had called me to preach, but I continuously said no. And there finally came a time when the Lord just broke me down and said, listen, this is the call of God on your life. Either accept it, run from it, but something is going to happen. And I remember, man, the, the peace that overwhelmed me and came over me as I surrendered and said, Lord, if you're calling me to preach, then I'll preach. Can I share with you, after I surrendered my life to the Lord and said, Lord, whatever you have for me, I haven't looked back. And I'll tell you what, there's so much joy in being in the center of the will of God. You see, Jonah's disobedience is seen in verse number 2 and 3 as he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry up against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of God. Immediately he recognizes, hey, the Lord is bringing me a word. Lord, I acknowledge what you've just said, but I'm going to say no. And, and that's where many of us sometimes, if we're not careful, we find ourselves, the Lord is trying to do something, but we keep saying no. The Lord says, you don't realize what could take place if you would allow me to work right here. No. Why? Because it's out of our comfort zone. There are many things that take place in the book of Jonah. As you go and you study the book of Jonah, the reasons why he didn't go. And at the root of every single one of them, it's a pride issue. You see, as you begin to walk in this passage of Scripture, you'll find sometimes that we will say, Lord, you're not in this. Lord, you're not here. You're not present. Let me just share a couple of things with you. All throughout Scripture, you'll find that the Lord not only is providing a word, but He's right in the midst of it. The word Jehovah Jireh, the title that is given, it means the Lord, our provider. I believe every single one of us this morning would acknowledge that the Lord has provided for every single one of us at certain times. And right this very moment, God is providing for you. The Bible tells us that He is also called Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. There are many of you this morning that are praying for healing. You've been healed before and you've experienced that in your life. Jehovah, not only Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, but Jehovah Shalom says, the Lord our peace. Man, the peace that floods our souls. Jehovah Raha, Lord our shepherd. What a shepherd he is. Jehovah Sedenku, the Lord our righteousness. Man, that's our God. And there are times as we walk through the book of Jonah where you'll find that his pride was creeping up and his pride led to his disobedience. See, in the midst of all of his disobedience, as he's struggling, the Bible tells us that the Lord said, Jonah, arise, and he very simply says no with his actions. 
Why is that? As you study and you'll find some reasons why Jonah ran. Number one, it's believed, number one, he just hated the Ninevites. He said, how could Jonah, he's supposed to deliver a word. He knows this. He should be doing this. Hey, we're not much different, are we? The Bible tells us to love our enemies, and Jonah is supposed to take a word to the enemies, and Jonah runs because he hated the Ninevites. Jonah knew that God was going to, or that God could deal with them and that their hearts would get right with the Lord. And we do the exact same thing sometimes. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs 24, 17, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. The word comes to you, you have an issue with a co-worker, there's something that's going on, or you receive news later on that something happened or someone fell into sin, and you make this statement, huh? don't come to me, I don't feel bad for him. Oh, what a spirit that is. What a gracious response that is. The Bible tells us, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. Matthew 5, verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So we know that Jonah very simply probably hated the Ninevites. We know that the message would often, and Jonah knew this, that it would lead to repentance. But in verses 1 through 3, we begin to find that Jonah ran because he's revealing he's unavailable to God. Let me ask you this question this morning. Because of the pride within your life, because of the pride that you say, I want to do what I want to do, are you unavailable to God this morning? You see, it's been said that the servant's greatest attribute is their availability. God is looking and and we think, oh, I've got to have all of this. I know you don't have the talent. God will give you what you need. He just needs you. Availability. And so we come and we begin to see that he was unavailable to be used of God. Or very simply, this is one that can be assumed, who's to know, but maybe he was afraid of God's method. Nineveh wasn't a place to play around with. It's a dark place. It's a dangerous place. It's not a place that you just say, hey, yeah, I'm going to go to Nineveh. I just want to spend a, a vacation. No, you're not vacationing in Nineveh. It's not, that's not how this goes. And so as you come and you look at all of the things that are taking place, one of the areas you might fall into this morning is because of the pride that you say, Lord, if you're not going to do it my way then I'm saying, no, maybe you're afraid of God's method of how he could use you. You know, one of the greatest places that we ought to be found in is the place of being uncomfortable, because it's in the place of being uncomfortable where we rely heavily on God and no longer on ourselves. When you can't rely on your resources and you have to rely on God's resources, you're in a good place. When you have to rely on what God is going to do in this situation, not what you can do, you're in a great place. You see, talent can be robbed away. God can take it at any moment out of your life. God can say, hey, you've got too much pride. You think you're something? I'm going to show you that you're not without me. Just like that. You see, I believe we were reminded of that this past week. I was watching SportsCenter for a few moments, and they were talking, and many of you follow football. And just like this, a man was playing football and collapses on a football field. And one of the, 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 the news anchors was talking, and they said, you know, one of the things that I believe this begins to reveal to us is that there are a lot of people who look at athletes and think that they're invincible. Why? Because they do things that we can't do. I mean, they're, they're incredible. The way that they, they catch footballs in certain ways and the way that they dunk the basketball and the athleticism, all of us, we look at them and we don't think that they're normal. 
But he said, I believe that this revealed to us today. Well, last night, rather, was when he was talking. That life is very fragile and is not in our hands. Just like that, our life can be taken. And all of a sudden, you saw all across the nation, there were people that were praying. You saw, as a matter of fact, on live television, that prayer was being allowed to be done. You see, we, we, look at, we look at our methods and we think, oh, God's going to send a revival this way. You don't know how God's going to send a revival. You, you don't realize what God can do in just a moment of a man collapsing on the field, that there might have been a young, a young man who was sitting in church that believes that this is what he was supposed to do, that God got his attention, and all of a sudden there might have been a revival in certain people's lives just because of that situation right there. We said, no, no, that can't happen that way. You don't have a clue how God works. You see, God's methods are not our methods. His ways are not our ways. What God desires to do, He'll do it His way, not our way. We look at things and we say, oh, no, it can't be done. You know what? That's pride saying it can't be done that way. Pride says, no, it has to be done this way. No, God says, I'll do it however I choose to. Jonah, these people need to be revived. Yeah, okay, I'm sending you. No, I don't like that method. That's how we live. Hey, I want you to do this. No, that's out of my comfort zone. I'm telling you no. Why? Because of pride. All throughout the book of Jonah, you see pride creeping over. Number two, not only because of Jonah's disobedience do you see pride, but his pride led to his disobedience, and his pride led from disobedience to now danger. Look with me in verse number four. But the Lord sent out a great wind in the sea, There was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down on the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. And all of a sudden, confusion begins to set in in this passage of Scripture. All of a sudden, they're wondering what in the world is going on. This great wind, this great storm is now upon us. And it continues to build and build and build. In verse number 17, the Bible says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. For many Christians, and we don't like to acknowledge this, but it takes God sending a fish to get our attention. You see, you look at this passage of Scripture, God's trying to get Jonah's attention. God's trying to get Jonah's attention as questions are being asked, as he says right here in verse number 8. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? Verse number 10, Why hast thou done this? Verse number 11, Then they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee? The Lord's trying to get his attention. But pride. You see, pride takes us further than we ever thought it would. Pride is an issue that if we don't deal with, begins to affect not only our lives, but the lives of others. The pride led to his disobedience. Pride led from his disobedience to his danger. You see, pride is sin, and we see the the effects of sin here. Right in this passage of Scripture, we see that sin brings panic when you desire peace. Hey, they're, they're just on the boat. They're doing what they know to do. They're doing what they've done many times. And in verse number 4, the Bible says, But the Lord sent out a great wind in the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea. So the ship was like to be broken. All of a sudden, they're confused. Verse number 6, So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? What's going on? Why is this happening? Confusion when you desire complete peace. You see the panic when you desire peace. You see confusion when you desire clarity. 
You see sorrow when you desire happiness. You see emptiness when you seek to be full. All of those things are root of pride. You're desiring those things. One of the things that we must come to the end of and realize is that as you hand God a blank sheet of paper, let Him do what He chooses to do. But oftentimes we hold on to a little sliver of that and say, Lord, I just want to hold on to this. Pride says, Lord, I think I can do it this way. Can I share with you, if you were to write your story out today, it'd be a wreck. You say, oh, no, I've got the perfect story. No, you don't realize. You see, there's a God in heaven that looks down and says, hey, you think this would be good, but this ain't going to benefit you. I've got you on this path. This is where you need to go. What a story he desires to write. You see, sin is a struggle within our lives. Pride, it affects much. It affects fellowship with God as it is strained. It affects the companionship with our spouse as it is tense. It affects our worship as it is weakened. It affects our friendships as we lose them. It affects our leadership as it is a struggle. All of those things are results of pride being creeping into our lives and us not dealing with those things. There are friends that come to us and say, hey, just want to bring this to your attention. We say, hey, worry about yourself. You know I'm not lying. And not a single one of us likes it when someone comes to us and brings something to our attention that we were not wanting to be brought to our attention. Our spouse comes to us and says, hey, I don't like how you've been acting. You say, hey, worry about yourself. Your your wife says, grab a pillow then. Let me just say this. Me and Kelly have had some arguments, but I will not sleep on the couch. And if she says, I'm going to the couch, guess where I'm going? I'm going to the couch too. She's going to deal with me. She married me. She stuck with me. That's how that works. <laughs> Friends come. Your spouse comes. You walk into the house of God. People are worshiping the Lord. People are stirred up. People are excited. And guess what? We're, I don't know what the big hoopla is. Why are they so excited about this? It's just, I mean, yeah, I've got a mansion. Who cares? Like, whoa. I've got a mansion. Hey, I got a house, and that that house is going to bring problems, and that house is going to bring issues, but there's a mansion waiting for me that's perfect, that's wonderful, that I can't long to get to. I don't don't just have a a mansion. I've got a mansion, and my God is preparing that mansion. That is who we get to worship, and you begin to think, oh, people walk in and say, oh, what's the big deal? No, you're missing it. Rejoice in your salvation once again. Rejoice in that life that has been changed. Rejoice in that situation that forever changed your life. Rejoice in the preacher that accepted the call to preach so that he could preach and you could be in that service and you could get saved. We take so much for granted. Oh, because of pride. Leadership. We we struggle sometimes in leadership because our pride won't let us to admit that we've been wrong. Every single one of us. You think about the pride that affects our lives. Pride was what was dealing with Jonah, and the Lord is trying to get his attention. He's asking questions, trying to prompt Jonah to get right. Pride, as he begins to hold off, brings us to verse number 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. You see, the Lord's going to get our attention. It's just a matter of with what and how long. I remember talking to my stepdad who the Lord had called to preach at a young age, and instead of Accepting the call to preach and being obedient, he ran from God. He's bitter at his parents, and his bitterness towards his parents and other individuals in his life led him to go and do some things that he shouldn't have done, disqualified himself from being a preacher and, and pastoring and, and all the many things the Lord had probably had planned for his life. 
And he looks back, and obviously I'm sure that there are times whenever he wishes he would have followed and done what the Lord had called him to do, but he's, at least he didn't stop right there and stay in the belly of the fish. He got right. Now the Lord has used him in many ways, and there are many people today that you found yourself in the belly of the whale before. God was trying to get your attention, and it wasn't until you came to the end of yourself, because your pride, that all of a sudden you saw that God had something in store. We see this in Jonah's life, and finally we see today not only Jonah's displeasure, I mean just disobedience and his danger, but we see his displeasure. Look with me, if you would, chapter number 4 for just a moment. Many of you are familiar with everything. We'll catch you up to speed on all of it. But a great revival is going to be sent. The Lord's going to use Jonah to accomplish what his intention was originally. Jonah's pride, as he said no, wouldn't allow him to go. Jonah's pride led him to be in the belly of the fish. Jonah's pride, as he held off from spending time reaching out to the Lord, as he just stayed there for three days and three nights, and then he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord says, okay, arise. Go with me to chapter number 3 for just a moment. The Bible tells us again, in verse number 1 of chapter number 3, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, notice this, the second time. Aren't you thankful for a God of second chances? saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Imagine for just a moment. It's kind of like a a parent getting onto a child. You you tell your child, hey, go do this. They say, I don't want to. So what do you have to do? You have to discipline. So maybe about 30, 45 minutes comes and goes, and that that child is in that rebellious state, and that child comes to you, and you say, hey, go do this. And they're thinking, are you serious? I imagine as, as Jonah is here, as he hears the words, Arise, go to the Lord. Didn't we just go through this? I don't want to do this. I have no desire to do this. I imagine in this situation, in verse number 3, the Bible tells us that Jonah arose. But as you go through chapter number 3 and you go through chapter number 4, there's going to be some grumbling. There's going to be some fussing. There's going to be some gripe, and all of that is going to take place. And you come to chapter number 4, and in verse number 1, the Bible says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before Natarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful and slow to anger, and of great kindness Repentest thee of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Verse number 6, And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head and deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? He said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Pride. Pride. You see, one of the struggles in the Christian life is sometimes we found in chapter number 4 arguing with God just like that. God is using certain things to get our attention and He's doing things in our lives and instead of acknowledging those things, can I share with you, I've said it before and I'll continue saying it because it's helped me. One of the greatest things that I, I was helped was when a preacher said, listen, if God is still convicting you, praise Him for it. 
means he still cares. It means he's still doing a work. But instead, sometimes we get so angry with God and we begin to fuss about things, we begin to gripe about things, and our pride creeps up and we do the exact same thing. Lord, just take my life. Lord, it's, it's not worth it. The Lord says, no. Dost thou well to be angry? Yeah. I'm angry and I want to be angry. It goes back to many of our lives. There are seasons in every single one of our lives where we throw pity parties. And in that pity party, we often will say, so-and-so has it this good. They just don't understand because, oh, their life is a bed of roses. Can I share with you, you don't have a clue. Within this room this morning, I dare say every single one of us have trials, have situations, have problems, have, have areas where we are struggling, have unspoken prayer requests that we are seeking God that we don't necessarily broadcast. I believe every single one of us probably do. But if we're not careful, our pride leads and breeds a selfish mentality where we begin to neglect the care of others, the concern for the things of God, and we say, it's all about me, Lord. The Lord says, dost thou well to be angry? And Jonah says, very simply, yes. He goes on and says this, and he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. See, pride is one of the things within the church, within the child of God's life, that if it's not dealt with, it'll kill you. You say, oh, it won't physically. You don't know what, what God will do. I remember, I've never personally experienced it, and I pray I never do, but I remember a pastor talking about a, a young man in his church. And the young man was, was living in sin, and he was trying to get his attention, and man, the pride was just dripping off that young man. And uh, the young man thought he was invincible and he could do everything and all of these many things. And the pastor was trying to get his attention and said, listen, you don't know, young man. Anyways, he left the church and I don't know the timeline of it. It might have been that night. It might have been a couple of days. I can't remember, but the young man was killed in a car accident just like that. You think about pride. You think about that situation. You think about that, that, that last call, that last conversation that was had. I can't imagine being that pastor and receiving the news of everything and, and wondering, man, what could I have done to get his attention? To help him to see that pride kills. Oh, man, pride kills. I've seen ministries wrecked because of pride. I've seen lives wrecked because of pride. I've seen families torn apart because of pride. I've seen young people's lives run a different direction because of pride and all of these many things. You see, pride always brings destruction. Can I ask you this question this morning? Would you at least, if you say today, you know what, I don't have any pride within my life. That's great. I pray that's the case. If it's not the case, could I encourage you to get yourself to the altar and spend some time in prayer and ask the Lord to deal with you if it is the case, that you don't have any pride. May we all be reminded that just like that, pride can creep up. May we deal with it and thank the Lord for the reminder. Lord, we do thank you this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we need you. I believe that's evident in every single one of us this morning. Lord, as we continue to consider the things that are killing churches and Christians and things that are strengthening Christians and the churches and all those many things, I pray that you would help us. Lord, we need you. Lord, I, my prayer is that Gateway Baptist Church would be a, a beacon of hope, an example, a lighthouse, 
Oh Lord, that people would be strengthened, that lives would be changed, that souls would be saved. And oh Lord, that you would continue to reveal to us exactly what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you'd get any form of pride, Lord, out of our hearts, out of families, out of ministries, out of the church. Lord, if there's any bit, Lord, reveal it to me. Help me. Reveal it to me. I pray that you would deal with us. I pray that we would become the Christian you saved us to be. Lord, that we take the lifetime, lifelong journey of walking with you and trusting you. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray.